What's up? It's Delaney, and I'd love to invite you to become an honorary co-host of the Self-Helpless Podcast. Do you want to pick episode topics and guests? Done. Want to surprise your loved ones with shout-outs on the show for a birthday, project launch, a much-needed divorce? Whatever you're up to, would love to be a part of the celebration. Get your favorite and least favorite quotes featured on the podcast, submit questions for our special guests, and find lots more new features and surprises at patreon.com slash selfhelpless. You'll also get added to our patron insider email list to easily redeem rewards via a quick email reply because we know hanging out on Patreon isn't everyone's thing. You can also opt out of emails if you prefer to be a silent supporter of the show. And don't worry, we do not Scrooge McDuck these contributions. 100% of proceeds go directly to operating expenses that make this weekly podcast possible and available to all. Learn more at patreon.com selfhelpless or simply click the link in this episode's description. Thank you for helping me fill the void of being the last standing host of the Self Helpless Podcast. Thank you so much. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Can you help? Can you help me? Can you help? Can you help? Can you help me? Can you help? Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Self Helpless. I'm Kelsey Cook. I'm Taylor Tomlinson. I'm Delaney Fisher. And we are so happy to have our guest on today and uh, just so grateful that she could give us her time. We interviewed racial justice educator Rachel Ricketts. She's a racial justice advocate and consultant, intuitive healer, speaker, and author. Um, Her work has been featured in the Huffington Post, Mind Body Green, BuzzFeed, Thrive, so many places. And we took her online workshop, which was incredibly educational and just had an amazing conversation with her. So we're going to go ahead and get right into our interview with Rachel Ricketts. We're so excited today to be joined by racial justice educator and author, Rachel Ricketts. Yay. 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 <laughs> Thank you for better than a Zoom applause break. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rachel, we always uh, we have our guests share their favorite quote. Usually, at the top of the episode, is there a, a quote that you love the most that you want to share? Yeah, I mean, it's always changing, but I'll share this one that's really with me right now. Okay, um, which is the function, the very serious function of racism is distraction. It keeps you from doing your work. It keeps you explaining over and over again your reason for being by the one and only Toni Morrison. Mm. Man, very yeah, good. very, very powerful. Um, so we all took your course online, your first course, because there are two, and then you also have one on grief. Um, yes. But we took Spiritual Activism 101, um, which was so informative and so good and uh 
I guess to start, we should just ask, can you talk about how you got started doing this work and your background and, and everything like that? Cause you have such an extensive list of resources on your website as well. I was looking through those last night too. And it's just like, it, there's just so much for people to find on your website. And that like, I, I appreciate so much as somebody who really this year was like, Oh, I don't have any excuses. Like we have the internet, you know? So yeah. I feel like your website is like, just if you are listening to this, go to rachelricketts.com even while you're listening and check it out. But uh, yeah, if you could just talk about your background, how you got started and how you built up this amazing website and course and resume. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I always say like this started uh, before I was born in the womb, before I was in my mom's womb, but definitely while I was brewing in her body um, from the experiences of being a black queer woman identified human living on the planet. So, you know, I've experienced uh, oppression and discrimination, like I said, from the, literally from the womb. Um, and so that has very um, obviously informed my perspective and my life's work. And um, I was always very drawn to justice and fairness because <laughs> I didn't feel like I saw it a lot in my life or experienced mm. it a lot in my life. Um, so I went to law school to become an attorney and um, really witnessed in, in that space. I was just talking about this yesterday. I was like so excited to get to law school I'm a Virgo. So like really a type and super cerebral and was just like, yeah, this is gonna be so great. Like, we're not all going to agree, but we're going to get together. We're gonna have these like really informed, respectful, enlightened discussions, you know, about like shit, like about life and, um, the world. And that was just totally not my experience. Um, I was born and raised in a very, very white, wealthy space in Western Canada and went to law school in the same white wealthy space. Cause my mother was chronically ill and disabled. And so I, I stayed close to her cause I was a primary caregiver. And, um, and so that was the, the like environment I was in and the, the law school I went to was very much a reflection of that as most law schools are. Um, and I just had such a heinous time throughout my educational experience, but certainly within law school and wasn't really ever sure if I was actually going to practice as an attorney or not. Um, but I did for five years until I completely burnt out. And, um, and, but when I was in law school and prior to law school, you know, I have a degree in psychology and a diploma in intercultural education and training, which is Canada's really polite way of saying anti-racism, but we can't even say that phrase. That's how polite we are. Quote unquote polite. Um, so that was always, I was always really fueled by that again, by justice and fairness, and then went to law school ultimately for that. And then realized very quickly early on in, in first year law, like, oh, so the law has nothing to do with justice or fairness. Like, fucking nothing. Um, it was created by and for white men to contain and maintain and perpetuate power and privilege by like for white folks um, and men and those who have the most, you know, able-bodied, neurotypical, um, thin, you know, traditionally attractive citizens, everyone who has the most power and privilege. And um, I was really shook by that because there was no conversation about it. Like no one was addressing it. Every single professor I had was like cis, white, and, uh, and we're, you know, I'm sitting in like property law class and we're not having a discussion about like even the concept or notion of property and where that came from or that all of the lands that I literally was learning on and lived within were indigenous lands that were stolen. Um, and criminal law class, we're not having any discussions about, you know, we're talking about like the reasonable person. Um, and, 
people being objective and neutral. And I was like, these are not things that actually exist. And who's the reasonable person? Do they look like me? Like they surely fucking don't um, in your mind, in the, the, the mind of the law. And so it was a really challenging experience. Um, and uh, I left that experience completely disheartened, essentially like, well, I'm not going to get into the field of law that I thought I was going to get into um, because I'm totally burnt out. And um, yeah, I had a chronically um, ill and disabled mother to care for. So I went into corporate law <laughs> so that I felt like, you know, I had my, I had student loans to pay off and um, a mother to care for. And I was like, well, at least this is law that I can um, not necessarily like take all of that emotional labor home. Cause I just didn't have anything left because of all the emotional labor I had to put forth in my own personal life. And kind of was like, well, I'll do my best to blow shit up from the inside, you know, like really learn how capitalism and the man work. And then I can, and then I can use that to fuel my fire. Um, and um, I did that for four or five years, got totally burnt out, like literally physically sick, got to the point where I couldn't walk into the office without bawling, um, had to go on stress leave. Um, and then left, I left without, I had no idea what I was going to do, but I knew that I needed to take care of myself. I needed to be able to show up and provide for my mom. Like I've been working 20 hour days. Like I slept at the office multiple times, um, so that I can make, you know, white men, rich, white men, richer. <laughs> so I quit, um, and, um, tried out a bunch of other things. And the year after I quit, maybe within six months or so after I left private practice, my mom was very, very, very unwell. She had multiple sclerosis, um, primary progressive, so like the worst kind, uh, was, was, um, deb- like incapacitated and in, um, unfathomable pain. And she decided that, you know, her quality of life was so boring that she did no longer wished to live. So I supported her in that transition. It wasn't legal at the time in Canada. We were like in this weird in-between place. We had a really, really awful experience trying to support her and dying with dignity. Um, and of course, the entire experience that led us up to that point of her getting to that place of 20 years of being chronically ill and being um, subjected to medical racism, medical misogyny that got her to that place. Um, and so I supported her in transitioning in October of 2015. And then I was just left with this grief unparalleled, right? You, you can try your best to plan for something like that, but you can't plan it. My mom like was my entire family and I'm an only child. Um and then I got into work doing grief coaching and became a certified death doula because I was like, this whole system is fucked and none of us are having conversations about grief and grief is rampant, not just with respect to death, but with respect to life. Like we're all grieving. I think in the midst of a global health pandemic, people have realized how um, palpable grief is and how many manifestations it shows up in our lives. Um, but no one was really talking about it then. And so that was the work I started doing and then very quickly realized that the most grief I've ever experienced in my life is a result of being um, black a woman identified, um, and queer. And so, um, that was the work that kind of came to me (laughs) and I'm, I rose to meet that. So, um, it's work that, uh, is more than work. It's, it's who I am. It's a calling. It's why I was put on the planet. Um, I believe, and, um, all of those things, um, were awful to experience, but led me to being able to provide the, the offerings that I now provide in the way that I do. So, um, I, I believe it was all for good reason. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank, yeah, thank you for sharing all of that. Um, you, you talk about, uh, emotional labor in, in the webinar that, um, you know, we watched and can you kind of expand on 
what that actually is for in this instance for people like me who have no idea what that feels like to prepare for a conversation, even this conversation, like the, you know, talk about the emotional violence that happens. Um, anytime you walk into a room where there's white people there, can you kind mm-hmm. of explain what that preparation is like? And you kind of, kind of, um, said it's like fighting for your humanity and stuff. Would mm-hmm. you mind expanding on what that, that is basically? Yeah. Um, so two things. One is, there's a piece around emotional labor and then there's a piece around emotional violence. Um, so emotional labor, most of us have an end. Well, sorry. Most of us haven't experienced emotional labor or had to undertake emotional labor, whether we were aware of it or not. When I learned the phrase emotionally, I was like, Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Thank you for this, these words and mental, mental load as well. Um, which people identify as women or femmes in, you know, our heteropatriarchal society generally are tasked with, um, emotional labor more so than people who identify as men. Um, and it's the, the work that we do, um, it, when it comes to, I'll speak about it in terms of, um, anti-racism. So as a black woman identified person, it's the work that I do to prioritize the comfort and well-being of whiteness, which is all the time because that's the status quo. Prioritizing the comfort and well-being of white people and whiteness is just is white supremacy but that's just status quo it's not like um divergent doesn't just exist in kkk spaces like that's just the norm so um that's what i have been socialized to do that's what i've been taught to do and that's part of my internalized oppression because i've been steeped in that from birth and so i will for example this has happened to me multiple multiple times growing up in white wealthy spaces having predominantly white friends being the only black person for miles um some racist event will happen whether I name it or not, if someone becomes a white person becomes aware of this racist thing, and then we engage in a conversation about race and, you know, the white person is very trepidatious, specifically with white cis women, like, especially very trepidatious about the discussion, really afraid of saying the wrong thing, really terrified of being wrong or bad or seeming, seeming to be, or um, being perceived as wrong or bad. Um, And so you can see their fear, you can see their discomfort and they, um, that's all palpable to me for my own safety and security. I've had to learn how to read that and see that coming from a mile away. And I will say things and behave in ways that will prioritize. And I don't anymore, but um, I'm trying not to. Been socialized to behave things and say things that will prioritize that person's comfort and their well-being over my own. Over my own. So um, a hard example is, for example, I was in you know, growing up, I was like 12 or 13, tweening, went out shopping with friends, they're all white. And this um, person experiencing houseless on the street, like locked up white man, locked eyes with me and screamed like, you nigger. And my friends, white friends, so uncomfortable, so uncomfortable. Obviously I'm not just uncomfortable. I'm deeply traumatized, sad, um, angry, but my first thought and behavior and action is to appease the white people around me so that they feel less um awkward so I laugh it off and I try to downplay the whole situation so that the people around me don't feel bad is anyone in that moment is any white person in that moment a addressing said person who just uttered um violence at me no uh comforting me checking in with me ensuring that I'm okay because I've just endured violence no um and that's the norm that's standard. So that's the emotional labor that I endure to prioritize comfort and well-being of whiteness. And that's part of how um, internalized oppression works 
for Black, Indigenous, and people of color. Um, and I kind of fuse these there. So that's emotional label, but emotional violence are, um, so we talk about, we, we, rather than understanding a physical violence, when we talk about violence, we usually think about that. We think about, you know, police brutality, or we think about um, usually male violence. We usually think about male violence or, or folks who identify as male when we think about violence, period. But emotional violence is um, for any person who's a woman or woman identified, grew up as a woman identified, um, high school was a violent experience. Like words absolutely can hurt. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but um, words still hurt. Our mm-hmm. actions, our passive aggressiveness, our silence, um, our cri- criticism, our judgment, um, the ways in which we gang up, gang up on each other or, or um, ghost on people or brush other people off, all of those are forms of emotional violence, as are gaslighting. So, you know, um, making it seem as though, for example, in, in a racial context, when I bring something to a white friend and say, you know, this was racist and it caused me harm, and they're like, oh, you're taking it the wrong way. That's not, not what I meant. Or, you know, you're being too um, sensitive gaslighting so trying to invalidate my experience or making me seem like my experience is actually real delve into the shadows of the mind with sleeping dogs a gripping murder mystery starring academy award winner russell crowe now available on digital crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall uncovering secrets from his past he learns a chilling truth it's best to let sleeping dogs lie Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Uh, in my line of work, spiritual bypassing and what I call the wealth and healthness space, very, very rampant. So uh, everything's love and light. We're all one race, the human race. I don't see color and all this love and light. So that would be bullshit. That's violent because you're denying my lived experience of oppression just because you don't see it and you don't quote unquote see it because you don't experience it. So that's just power and privilege and your inability to face your own shadow, which is anything but spiritual. Um, so all of these are forms of violence as are white silence. So if you witness um, racism, so in that back, back to the example of me walking on the street with my tweenie friends and they did nothing to speak up to the person who committed violence against me, nor do anything to support me. Um, that is white, white silence. That's violence. Um, white entitlement, um, which is rampant, always all of these things are very status quo, but we're, we're seeing a lot of this right now in the terms of the, you know, most recent black uprising and white people waking up way the fuck late to the realities of the world um, as they exist for black people and other uh, folks of color. Uh, but now it's just like the urgency, this entitlement and urgency. So this like entitled sense of needing access to black people and to black educators and then the urgency of like, but I need to know this now because otherwise I feel bad, right? Again, back to that. I want to feel good and right and be perceived as good and right, which is why you post a black square, but do absolutely fucking nothing that's actually useful or helpful. Um, all of those are forms of emotional violence. Even I was talking about this with a friend. Um, microaggressions are forms of emotional violence and microaggressions are so 
pervasive. So for example, um, people, this kind of also ties back into this urgency and entitlement, but people will email me, but all non-Black people, and in fact, other Black people also email. And uh, I have all, you know, back to Taylor, what you're saying, I have so, I'm, I'm a Virgo, like I said, I have so much information on my website. Like if you need to know something, is there. If you have a question, almost 99.9% positive. If you actually fucking went to the website, you would find the answer or like the beginning of the answer. And maybe you need to like get a more in-depth thing. People just reach out, haven't done a goddamn thing. You know, there's, um, someone reached out to me recently. They own a fitness studio, um, here in Toronto where I'm currently living and they white woman. And she was just like, I'm in crisis. It was just like a whole rant. Like, do you have resources you could point me to or like whatever? And I'm like, bitch, are you actually fucking serious like if you looked at the website for once you took the energy to email me but you didn't even fucking look at the website and like and so you're wasting my time and energy and no I don't work for free I'm not just here to hold your fucking hand like you must pay me for my emotional labor thank you because if you're not you're exploiting and extracting from black women which is to perpetuate white supremacy which is the norm so I'm not here for any of it um but that is a very standard experience right like help I don't know and I'm like you're trying to exhaust me and other like and 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 that is a form of violence constantly trying to exhaust us educate us asking questions when like the, the answers are out in the world the answers are out in the world the medicine is out in the world nothing that i am saying or any other anti-racist or racial justice activist or anti-oppressive activist really is saying hasn't already been said my ancestors have said all of this already that's why i say people are white people centuries late we've been saying the same fucking thing forever you're just paying attention now but the medicine is out there. So to continuously demand or feel like you have a, you're entitled to extract from me um, and it, on your terms and on your time, all of that is violence. I could go on about violence all day, but all of those are forms of emotional violence. And we need to, um, we should just call them violence, really. Um, I say that a lot. I describe it as emotional violence. So we have an understanding of what I'm trying to define, but it's just violence. It's still violence. Right. Yeah. I felt like um, there was so much of that in your course that was helpful of redefining things and the whole like, not am I racist, but how am I racist? And just that very foundational shift of like, just get rid of the am I racist question because you are. So like start in a different place because that other question is not helping anybody. Um, Can you expand on that more? The the idea of how people can get to that place of even just not having the white fragility come up of of wanting to even not accept that they could be racist. Like how, how can people get there? Yeah. Um, So this is kind of like the crux of my work, which is like education won't save us. Knowledge is not, knowledge is important, but it's not the answer because um, like I said, like I just said, Black people, Indigenous people, other folks of color have been saying the same shit for centuries. So it's, and the medicine is out there. The knowledge is out there. There's books, Audre Lorde, James Baldwin, Maya Angelou, Toni Morrison, um, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, like it's out there. Um, So that isn't the crux of what needs to shift. For me, the crux of what needs to shift is what internal work are you doing to face your own shit? to acknowledge your shadows, which is the part of your part of yourself that you don't like and don't want to acknowledge, um, to be able to tolerate the full spectrum of your human emotion. So back to, this is where like my grief work comes in. This work is grief work. Um, your anger, your rage, um, your sadness, your disappointment, your depression, 
Um, all of those are parts of you. And we live again in this white supremacist, ableist, heteropatriarchal capitalist society that doesn't want us to acknowledge any of those things. Like, like you hold the whole premise of Instagram is just like, shit is so great. Square, happy square, happy square, happy square. And like, this is what my life looks like. And no one's life looks like that. Um, but that's what we put out into the world. And, um, when we talk about our pain, when you talk about our rage, we are, it's pathologized, right? Especially if you are an oppressed person, oppressed identity. Like anytime I say anything, I'm angry. It doesn't matter what I'm saying. I'm like, this is a great potato chip. I'm angry. Um, (laughs) So um, it's being able to acknowledge the fulsomeness of who you are and as white people as white women specifically white cis women really being able to um unlearn and reimagine your own identity right like oh so I thought I was this good and right person and that's how you've been socialized to exist right that's how white supremacy has allowed um white women identified folks to to operate like in this Eurocentric idealized notion of quote unquote femininity. And that includes um, goodness and purity, right? Like really, really inherent and ingrained in that notion. And so to be, to have someone like slap you in the face, like, no, bitch, you're not that good is really um, an identity shift. And so if you're not willing to do that work and see that for yourself and understand that that's part of this work, this work is healing. And I don't just mean it's like healing because, um, oppressed people are in pain and thus need healing, which is true, we are, but this healing for everyone because for the oppressor, whether it's based on race or gender identity or class or um, sexual orientation or whatever, for oppressors to oppress, that requires you to disconnect yourself to a part of yourself, right? And so it also harms dominators. It also harms oppressors, obviously quite differently. Um, and it allows you the way in which our status quo of domination allows dominators to exist. Um, you can do so in a way that you won't realize that it's causing you harm, but it is causing you harm. So it causes everyone harm. So I talk about this, like white supremacy causes everyone harm, including white people. We understand that patriarchy causes everyone harm, including men, um, even though they perpetuate it. And even though um, without question, they perpetuate it, but it still causes them harm. Um, so we need to have conversations about what the status quo is and why the status quo is what it is um, and the harm that it's calling, causing everyone, no one more than black and indigenous, queer and trans women and femmes. Um, but I really feel like, I laugh about this a lot, but I really feel like when I tell white folks that, I'm like, you're all racist. So like, can you just calm out, like calm down a bit about it? So I'm making like, you really make, you're centering yourself, white centering, mm. which is a form of violence. Like you're all racist. So just start there because this isn't actually about you. And if you're more concerned about being called racist than the racism that you're perpetuating and without question you are then we have a really serious problem right and that again that status with i'm not racist well you're causing harm um and so i think that that should be the part that you're actually hanging your head on and being more concerned about than like a fucking label um and i talked about this this yesterday but if you're doing the work you're you should be so involved and ingrained and busy doing the work that you're not so attached to titles at all right um, but yeah, what we, where we need white people to get is to a place of just sitting with, yeah, I'm racist. Okay, I'm, I am racist because I am white in a white supremacist world. I was born into that. I was raised into it. So what does that mean? And what am I going to do to counter that? Because that's my work. 
And I can say as a cis person, um, light skin, thin, neurotypical, highly educated, like I am a black queer woman identified person, but I'm also have a lot of privileges. And so that's also my work. We can't dismantle one oppression without dismantling all forms of oppression because I'm here for the liberation of all black people, irrespective of what other oppressed identities they operate and live at. So um, I can't demand that of other people without demanding it of myself. So I'm constantly critiquing and evaluating and challenging myself and welcoming other people to do the same. Um, about the privileges and the power that I possess and the ways in which I need to give that up um, and amplify those who have, who have less. Would you mind, uh, you said something in the course about how white people cannot be an ally or activist and why? Because we you see that that word being thrown around a lot, especially right now with white people claiming to be allies, activists, that kind of thing. Can you mm. tell us why that is can't exist? Yeah, it, uh, this is a whole thing, but um, it can't exist because again, if you're doing the work, then just do the work. Why do you need a label? Also, um, this was brought up yesterday by either Erica Hart or Blair Amani. Um, but black women and femmes have been doing this work forever for all of us. Like I just said, for the collective liberation, like when black women and femmes are free, then everyone is free. Everyone is free because CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We are the most oppressed globally by heteropatriarchy, um, misogyny, anti-blackness, white supremacy and the, you know, the culmination of all of those things. And so when we are free, everyone will be free. So we're not just doing this for ourselves, right? When we say Black Lives Matter, we're saying Black Lives Matter because, because we are the most oppressed. And when Black Lives Matter, then all lives actually do matter. And we can all collectively be free. So Black women have been at the forefront of fighting for change and justice socially for everyone for hundreds of years. And we don't call ourselves allies. We don't have names for ourselves because we're too busy fucking doing work. We're just out here, you know, I don't see all the people on the front line. I don't see every Black Lives Matter actors out there being like, I am an ally. Um, they're just doing the work. So the title really isn't about the work you're doing. It's about you wanting to feel good and right. So you're just centering yourself again. Uh, and then I don't believe that anyone can actually be an ally because like, you can put it on and you can take it off like a fucking shirt. I'm Black. I am always Black. I cannot take Blackness off, even if I wanted to. Um, and, uh, but when you are seeking and striving to act in allyship, you'll fuck it up. You'll fuck it up without question. 
Um, I fuck it up. We all will. That's part of the work. It's learning and unlearning. It's every single day. It's every single breath. It's all the time. It's why people don't really want to do it. Um, and so, you know, to name yourself an ally is to me to create this false sense of security. First of all, first of all, you're deciding that you're an ally. I love when people are like, I'm an ally to the Black Lives Matter. I'm like, but you decided that, not me. And if you're a natural ally, then I'm the one who gets to decide if you're acting, how and when you're acting an allyship, A, B, you can't do it 24 seven. You're going to fuck it up. So the minute you don't fuck it up, you're not being, you're not acting an allyship. So get over it. Um, but more or less just like get over the label. Why do you even need one? Just do the work, get over it. Um, and then when it comes to activism, that's just like extreme to me. Right. So I don't believe that white people can be activists for the cause of anti-racism because you have never experienced racism. How could you ever begin? Also, what are you really, you can give up power and privilege, but what is really on the line for you? Because for me, like my life and livelihood is always on the line and yours just isn't. So I don't really see how you're an activist. Also, white people can't teach anti-racism again, because they've never actually experienced racism and you're just trying to benefit from through reputation, through fame, through profit, um, white supremacy that you perpetuate and already benefit from just by virtue of being white. So like, get out of here. Yeah. Yeah, I think what you said in your course about like your intentions don't matter. I, yeah. I mean, I think all three of us are super guilty of that and just being white people and white women and fucking comedians honestly there's a lot of like <laughs> that's not what they meant like that like white solidarity where you're like that's not yeah. what Brittany meant like there's so much of that especially when like comedians get called out for doing like fucked up material there's always someone going like I know so and so and they're right. not like that and they didn't mean it that way and to just have you say so directly like it doesn't matter what it's what you're saying about it, you have to look at yourself and go, okay, you're not as good of a person as you think you are because everyone just keeps giving themselves a pass for mistakes they've made instead of just owning up to the harm they've caused. So, yeah. And I think part of that also is perpetuated by, again, like the white supremacist, heteropatriarchal capitalist state that doesn't allow for imperfection. So if you have no capacity to um, be wrong and bad and to um, get it to get it wrong and to fuck it up, then you can't do this work. But if you have the capacity to be like, okay, fuck, like shit, I fucked up. For me, I have a lot of grace for fuck ups. Um, obviously, it's helpful if you're not, but like you're, but I, but you're going to. As am I. I have a lot of grace for fuck ups. Um, what really matters is what you do about that. How are you addressing and acknowledging your harm, and how are you creating repair? How are you ensuring that you change behavior? The only real apology is, apology is changed behavior. Everyone can say whatever the fuck they want. How are you actually changing your behavior? Um, and if you're not, your apology is actually an act of violence because it's a lie. Mm. Um, so I always say, FYI, fuck your intention. And you need to prioritize, uh, fuck your intention. And a member of my community also was like, yes, and feel your impact. I was like, great, yes. Fuck Ooh. your intention and feel your impact. Um, because that's actually the thing that you're trying to avoid. You're trying to avoid feeling the harm that you cause. You don't want to feel that. So you, the, the defenses go up and you call in everyone to co-sign like, that's not what they meant. That's, they're not a bad person. Like, guess what? We actually all are bad people and good people. All of us. No one is not a bad person and no one is a great person. Like in the same way, we shouldn't be idolizing specific people either because no one's shit don't stink. Like all of us are humans. We are all here having a human experience. So we're going to fuck shit up. Um, and that doesn't mean it's just like, oh, I'm going to fuck it up. So who cares? I should just do whatever I want. And like, it doesn't matter. Like, no, we're all humans having 
human experience. We're going to fuck it up, but we can cause less harm. And the goal is to minimize the harm that we cause, especially against people who have traditionally, historically, and in present day received the most harm and continue to endure the most harm. Those are the people that we need to be prioritizing in terms of minimizing harm against, but against everybody. And when we are causing less harm against others, we actually are also causing less harm against ourselves. That's when we feel better. We feel better when we're like, okay, I faced some shit. I learned a lot. Um, I had an honest, you know, real discussion. I realized that I caused harm. Um, and I figured out how I can address it and actually repair it and change that behavior moving forward. That feels really fucking good, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, there, uh, when you mentioned the idea of like, uh, when like white people are educating themselves on this and then all they do is educate other white people instead of lifting up, uh, black indigenous people of color, can you talk about how you can even weaponize your own education when you think yeah. you're trying. Yeah. What? Holy, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, can you talk so about white. that? It's so white. It's wild. <laughs> um, I mean, for me, this goes back to why white people can't teach anti-racism because it's like, and this is also this like insidious piece of just education because when you educate white people, then they have the language, which can be violent because you have the language, but are you actually, like you can hold up a Black Lives Matter sign and still live in a gentrified neighborhood and be oppressive to black people, right? So what are the, what's the change in behavior and the action that you're actually taking? Um, and we are now in that paradigm where people are, you know, white people are waking up like never before. They're starting to educate. I'm not going to educate themselves. That's not true, but be open to being educated specifically by black and indigenous women and femmes and have the language, but that doesn't mean that change is actually occurring. Um, and so that is like the slippery slope with respect to education. Of course, education is required to have that awakening and enlightenment, but for me, it's the next level. Like how do we get out of our heads and into our heart, into our bodies, um, which for me is also the divine feminine because um, we live in such a, a, a masculine, and I don't mean male, like masculine dominated um, society and culture. And so when we can honor our, our emotions, our heart space, and actually drop into like, what's going on in your body and, um, what trauma do you need healing? What trauma do you need to be healed that you thought that you could educate, get educated on anti-racism and then go fucking teach something you've never experienced in your life and prioritize white people. Like you need some help. You need some real help. Right. So that's why I say this work is healing. Um, and that's just so classic. Again, that's why whiteness co-ops everything. Whiteness colonizes everything. And that's what whiteness and white people have been taught to do. So you have to unplug from that and unlearn it. And you have to give up power. If your anti-racism is not prioritizing the comfort and well-being and safety of Black and Indigenous, women and femmes, specifically queer and trans, uh, then it's bullshit, period. My work, I do educate white people quite clearly, um, but that's not my priority. My priority is the liberation um, of all oppressed people, for me specifically, Black and Indigenous women and femmes, queer and trans very specifically, um, and especially. Uh, and for me, that requires, given my you know life's experiences and my personal education and um, gifts uh speaking to white people because i was raised in a white wealthy space and so i can be a white whisperer <laughs> in a way um and for me that's how my gifts can help bring about black uh liberation because until white people are willing to very very intentionally actually actively give up power and privilege none of this will actually change i can march till the cows come home y'all can march till the cows come home but if you're not actually willing to um 
work integrally and authentically. And that requires you to give up power and privilege um, and doing all of this inside of a system that was built by and for white supremacy, white power and privilege, very, very hard. I'm envisioning a world that has never been seen before. None of us have any idea what it looks or feels like. And that's like the zeitgeist that we're in right now. That's how we got here. Um, and that's really hard, but we're getting there slowly, right? Like we're slowly beginning to understand more and more what it is to live in like complete and utter uncertainty. Like, can I go to the store tomorrow? I don't know. <laughs> maybe I can, maybe I can't. Like what does six months down the road look like? No fucking idea. Um, and I think all of this, this to me, you know, in my spiritual leanings and understandings is like the universe and mother nature being like, let y'all need some help. So I'm gonna help you move in the ways that the collective needs to move to get you in the exact zeitgeist that you need to be in for this to actually happen. Because we've had many, 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 many opportunities before this over hundreds of years to create this change. Specifically white people have had many, many, many opportunities to create the, create the change needed for racial justice. Um, this is not the first, I do believe it will be the last because in, inside of all of this, we're also combating climate change, which is a racial justice issue because it in, disproportionately impacts um, black and indigenous people and communities all around the world. Uh, and like, you know, mother nature ain't playing. So if we don't get this right, like fixing and uprooting all of the systems of oppression that currently exist, we'll be done, period, all of us. So I really believe this is our last chance um, to make change or we'll all perish underneath it. Um, I, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Kelsey. Sorry, we're uh, trying to... <laughs> so many questions uh, maybe, for you. Maybe sorry. we'll each ask one, one last thing because I know it's we've been going for about 40 minutes. Um, you were talking in the beginning about caregiver burnout and about work burnout and emotional burnout. We've talked so much about that on this show. And um, a thing we like to ask guests often is what is your, what's the most like impactful self-care things you do during those times? Like when you are feeling burnt out, what's like your go-to, okay, this is going to pull me into a better place at least for a little bit. Hmm. Uh, rest, which sounds really easy. It's actually really really fucking hard especially for people who are socialized as women women identified folks femmes um especially as a <laughs> black woman identified uh human right like we are socialized to work and to care for others before ourselves and to feel guilt and shame and grief um and for others to to um gaslight and kind of um cast upon us their you know confusion anger whatever shit when we do prioritize ourselves because rest is an act of prioritizing ourselves. And I don't just mean sleep, I mean rest, right? So they're not, they're not always the same. There's many, many forms of rest. Physical is only one. Most of us don't get enough physical rest, but we also don't get enough like social rest. Although I joke about this now, obviously in, in the, the situations that we're in, but like um, being around the right people, not just any people, but like people actually like support you fulsomely and wholeheartedly and being your best self, um, that you leave feeling nourished as opposed to drained. Um, mental rest, sensory rest, which we are not getting right now. We're all on Zoom and our phones and uh, like Netflix all day long. And so that's a lot. And a lot of us live in busy cities. Like we intake a lot of information all the time. Yeah. Um, mental rest, like there's so many forms of rest, like just sitting. So I meditate a lot. Like that's, you know, one form of rest for me, but it still allows me to, you know, you're still doing something. I'm trying to learn the art of truly doing nothing like staring at the sky or eating a peach and just enjoying the peach in that moment. Mm -hmm. Really hard. Like this is truly 
fucking hard. It's really, it brings up a lot of shit. Um, but that is really, um, has been my priority prior, my priority for my self-care now. And then when I don't do that, my body so sensitive now, my body just shuts down. Like, bitch, you need to lie down. So we're just going to like get a sinus infection or whatever we're going to do. Right. Surprise. I haven't had COVID yet. Cause my body be like, we just need to lie here. And when I lie down for a day, cause I usually like, I am always going despite my, you know, I know I have a need for rest and I'm trying to invoke that. But, um, I also have a lot on my plate. It's we're in the middle of a black genocide inside of a <clears throat> global health pandemic. Um, and all these white folks are waking up. So, you know, it's been a lot. And so I'm not getting sufficient amount of rest. And so when my body li- lays my ass down, which I, I consider a gift, the day after is like a whole different thing. Yeah. You know, like it just the way you're able to show up for yourself and others. And if we're not resting, we can't show up for ourselves and others. And you can't show up for yourself and others. You can't do this work, period. Um, so I say rest and I mean that in a really intentional way. Yeah. Thank you for reminding us of all the different facets of rest. Cause yeah. it's easy to forget that it's not just taking a nap. Yeah. yeah. Off of the, the importance of rest. Can you talk about your decision to include breath work at the beginning mm-hmm. and end of your course? Do you do that for every course? More or less. Yeah. And like, um, we'll be doing it without question in all courses moving forward. I think there's one, I don't do it, but it, there's meditation. Um, but that that's part of what I, you know, um, name spiritual activism. It's how we can, how can we get into our bodies and out of our heads? Um, and breath work is this beautiful, um, practice, you know, passed down from South Asian ancestors from the area now known as India, um, who are also my ancestors. And, um, what a potent practice. I haven't come across anything, you know, I do Reiki, I do um, yoga, meditation, but breath work, uh, there's nothing more powerful in terms of being able to get into your body and release because we hold, we store all of this grief and rage and trauma. We store it in our bodies. And again, in um, the world that we live in, in this oppressive heteropatriarchal white supremacist capitalist world where we are just go, go, going, and we are, um, our success, our worth, our value is tied up in what we're doing, not who we are. We can't just simply be, right? Which is why rest is so hard. Um, We just keep going. And so we ignore what's going on in our body. And that's how dis-ease manifests because we, which isn't a victim blame, um, but our bodies are going to finally let us know if we haven't been been paying attention. And it just, we just go, 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 go. So breath work allows us to really um, nourish ourselves and just breath. it's truly just breath, but also when we're really stressed, the first thing we do um, is we lose our breath. We shallow breathe. Most of us actually don't breathe properly. We don't breathe into our diaphragms. Like we're not getting enough breath in our day to day on a good day, let alone on a stressful day in the middle of a global pandemic. So it really, um, that's why it's so powerful. People fucking cry, you scream, um, you, you release, it's a release. And that's another thing that we don't get enough of is just this opportunity to one, just give to ourselves, be with ourselves and, um, release whatever isn't serving. And when we're having these discussions about loaded conversations about race and racism and, um, gender identity and homophobia and trans women, all these forms of oppression that require you to really, really face your shit and shift your identity, um, we need to hold compassion. We need to be able to honor the tough feelings that arise. Um, otherwise, again, I think we don't get anywhere. And so that's where I feel like breathwork is so potent and, and important to allow us to acknowledge that. Like I'm here and I'm showing up, I'm fucking late. 
And I know that I have all of these feelings. Um, I have all these fears and anxieties. Um, and none of that is as important as repairing harm and minimizing harm towards those who are most oppressed, but it still needs to be acknowledged. Um, because if I feel like I have to swallow that or not acknowledge that that's an emotional experience I'm having, then it'll come, it, it will exist in my body and it'll come out some other way, probably in violence towards the most marginalized people, which I'm committing to, um, trying to minimize. So breathwork just allows you to, um, process that, get out of your head, get into your body and just like release it. Um, can you tell us why reverse racism is not a thing? I feel like I, you know, you hear that word thrown around and I think that would be beneficial for myself and our listeners to hear that. Yeah. So reverse racism is not a thing because racism is about power. Um, and again, in the white supremacist, heteropatriarchal, capitalist society that we all live within, um, racism requires power requires privilege and it requires prejudice all of these three things together privilege is really just a subset of power so you could just say power and prejudice we all have prejudices all of us have prejudices about um other people factions of people um every human on the planet irrespective of a race ethnicity gender identity has prejudices i have prejudices you we all do but that is not the same as racism because i as a black queer woman identified person do not hold capital p power which was created and white people have power as a result of like colonial structures that date back to hundreds and hundreds of years and the entrenchment of those through law and military and, you know, stealing and murdering indigenous people and then um, creating an entire transatlantic slave trade of black people that went all around the world and capitalizing off of the free land that you stole and the free labor off of the backs of black people. Um, all of that uh, benefits white people and white passing people. If you pass as white, if you're a person of color, then you benefit from white privilege because that's that's the, the society that we live in. Um, and race itself, like, really uh, shouldn't matter, right? It shouldn't, biologically, it's not, scientifically, it's not a thing. It shouldn't matter, but it does. And actually, it, it matters because white people made it matter <laughs> um, way back. And so it matters now because the consequences of these racial divisions that white people created um, matter, are very, very, very manifest and are very, very real. Um, and they really, really matter. So reverse racism is, is just, it doesn't exist. Internalized racism doesn't exist. Um, but prejudices exist and they all need to be addressed. Um, and internalized oppression, uh, which I believe all black indigenous and people of color have exists and needs to be addressed. Anti-blackness is, is universal. Every single person on the planet is anti-black, including black people, because we've all been steeped in anti-blackness, learned anti-blackness. And so we need to unpack that. Anti-indigeneity is also a thing. Um, the erasure of indigenous people who come from all over, not just Native American people, like African, there's indigenous Africans, indigenous Philippine, Philippinex people all over the world. Um, all of that needs to be addressed. But insofar as racism, when people talk about reverse racism, it's a defense tactic, it's a distractive ploy, it's wanting to address prejudices, sure. Usually it's not, it's usually just a defense mechanism. Um, and we do need to address all prejudices, but we need to be very, very clear dot com r-a-c-h-e-l-r-i-c-k-e-t-t-s and like i said there's a wealth of information there including a list of racial justice resources that i'm constantly where my team and i are constantly updating um for everybody everyone you know i have healing resources for black indigenous women of color i have addressing whiteness i have um 
everything. Um, I also have a separate list, which is grief resources, because like I said, I believe this work is really grief related. Um, and especially in the moment that we are all in, in the midst of this uh, global health pandemic, Black genocide within a global health pandemic, there's a separate list for grief of all forms, uh, including burnout. Um, there, uh, I always suggest to people, and you'll see the pop up when you head to my website, but um, I always suggest people sign up for my newsletter. I send out two newsletters a month. One is um, usually has soulful prompts for doing, helping you support support yourself and um, doing the inner work so you can really show up and support others. And then there's a reparations roundup that also goes out every month. We feature one um, black owned and operated operated organization that is supporting black and or indigenous um, folks uh, to highlight and feature every single month. Uh, I also have a really amazing new creative project that will be um, announced in the next coming weeks. So if you sign up to my newsletter, you'll be the first to know. Uh, and then you can find me on Instagram uh, at I am Rachel Ricketts and you'll find links to all the things that I just discussed um, in my Instagram profile. And obviously mm. I'm posting into the ether all the time and educating um, on that space as well. And then do you have awesome. a Patreon as well? I do have a Patreon. Yeah. I think. I should know the name, but I don't. I think it's I am a terrific. But yes, it's on your website. But it's on my website. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rachel. Really, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Hope you have a great rest of the day. Thank you guys so much. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye. Well, that was incredibly important and informative, and we recommend. Please go take. Uh, Rachel's Spiritual Activism 101 course, all of her courses. Um, it's just, uh, it's so necessary. Yeah, <laughs> really. yeah. And sign Absolutely. up for her newsletter too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm definitely uh, going to do that. We have a, we have an iTunes review of the episode. Uh, this is from Jen Tez, I believe. It says, amazing. This is by far my favorite podcast to listen to any day of the week for any mood. I've done everything between laughing and crying while listening to this podcast. I absolutely love it. These three ladies do such an incredible job. They are funny, down-to-earth, and relatable. They are genuine and raw, and I'm always excited to see what they will talk about next. Oh, thank you so much, Jen. Very it's nice. incredibly thank kind. Thank you very much. Very thank nice. Thank time. Um, um, and just a quick update. I know we mentioned what, uh, a little while back that we would be um, reviewing the book White Fragility. We have decided not to review that book on the show. Um, instead, um, you know, we're going to continue to have racial justice educators and other educators on the show to discuss this, uh, these different topics with us, white supremacy, anti-racism, all of that. Um, so yeah, just wanted to update you that episode will not be actually uh, be recorded or, or airing. So we just wanted to update you on that. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, All right we, uh, we love you guys. Hope you're having a great day and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you guys so much for listening to Self Helpless. We really appreciate it and would love anything you can do to help the show grow and get the word out. So if you could leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, that helps us move up the iTunes charts. If you can tell a friend, a coworker, a family member, anybody that you think would love the podcast, you can also screenshot an episode and share it in your Instagram, in your Instagram stories, anything helps. Also, if you want more of the show, if you want bonus episodes, if you want to be able to be more interactive and help choose podcast topics, you can go to patreon.com slash self-helpless and join there. 
You guys can follow me on Instagram at Kelsey Cook Comedy, on Twitter at Kelsey Cook. You can go to my website, KelseyCook.com, which has links to my online makeup course. You can listen to my album, Savor It, on Spotify and iTunes. And you can watch my foosball web series on YouTube called Wrists of Fury. How about you guys? Where can people find you? You can follow me at Taylor Tomlinson on Instagram and Twitter. My website is ttomcomedy.com. And you can watch my one-hour special streaming on Netflix right now called Quarter Life Crisis. Awesome. And you can find me at DelaneyFisher.com. That's where you'll find information about my one-to-one consulting and my online courses. So basically, if you're a business owner, podcaster, or comedian, uh, and you're looking to either start those things or grow those things, you can reach out to me for more information. I also have an email list at DelaneyFisher.com where I share my favorite tools, tips, treats, and free shit. And then we just want to say a big special thank you to our wonderful editor, Emma Erdbrink, and our fantastic associate producer, Humaira Nawaz. And you can find everything that we all just mentioned at selfhelplesspodcast.com. <laughs>